Let's get into the audiobook. Bolivia Prison Sleeping Pills When I first arrived at San Pedro, I didn't feel safe leaving my room. Now, nine months later, I didn't even want to. Even if I had wanted to, I couldn't have. Because I didn't have the energy. For two days I hardly ate. And after that, I couldn't get my appetite back. The sight of meat made me sick and I stopped eating it altogether. Even if it was cooked, I still saw the man's brains spilling out onto my plate. I couldn't do anything. I was depressed. On the rare occasions when I was hungry, I ate. I drank when I was thirsty and went to the toilet when my body told me to. That was all. The only thing I actually wanted to do was sleep. And much of the time I couldn't even do that. That was the period when I started taking sleeping pills. I was having trouble sleeping, so I went to see the doctor for a prescription. He didn't ask any questions. Why the fuck would he, I suppose? On the scale of drug problems in San Pedro prison, sleeping pills didn't even rate. Once I started taking pills, I, didn't, I did even less. I only saw light once a day. With less food in my body, I didn't need to go to the bathroom as much. When I needed to urinate, I did so in a bucket that I emptied whenever it became full. And when I got sick of emptying it all the time, I bought another bucket. I couldn't think properly. Even my mind had slowed down. The only reason I ever had to get out of bed was for the lista. And if that hadn't been a compulsory, I wouldn't have gone. Getting up was a lot more of a struggle with the sleeping pills in my system. But somehow I still managed to set my alarm clock and make it down to the courtyard every morning. If I ever didn't wake up, my neighbor Gonzalez would bang on my door and force me to get up. They'd send for Ricardo who had a spare key to my room. After falling out of bed stumbling down the stairs, it was easy to pass the actual local. All you had to do was wait. Hidden among the other prisoners, listen for your name and call out, Presente, Presente, before heading back to your room. The guards sometimes looked at me suspiciously because I could hardly keep my eyes open. Once or twice they checked for my breath for alcohol, but nothing ever happened. They all knew that the governor was my friend. After the Easter I would take another sleeping pill, and when I woke up I would take another one. With the pills, sometimes I could sleep for 16 hours straight. Although at other times I hardly slept for days and nights on end. Even if I took three or four it was dark in my room and I began to lose track of time. Eventually my whole body clock became 
completely disorientated. Sometimes I would look at the clock just out of habit, but after leading it I wouldn't have known whether it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon or 3 o'clock in the morning. I begin ordering more and more pills from the doctor to help me get back into a normal sleeping routine. There was no limit to the number of boxes he could order from the prison clinic. And they were very cheap because the pills were copies manufactured in the factories in El Arto. When I needed stronger dosages, one of the inmates knew a farmica. Farmica, as they say in Bolivia, on the outside that didn't ask for prescriptions. These pills were more expensive and I had to pay someone else a propina, meaning money in Bolivia, to get them. But it was worth it because I didn't need to take so many doses in one go. I don't recall much of what happened during those three weeks, but it wasn't much, I know that. When I wasn't asleep, I often got drunk on my own. One afternoon I woke up and felt that my lips were caked with dry blood. When I looked in the mirror I had cuts and bruises all over my face. I didn't know if I had been in a fight or if I simply fallen over. I never found out. I was too embarrassed to ask anyone. The few times that my head was clear I remember the main feeling I had was simply that I wanted to die. I thought about death a lot, but I was afraid to kill myself. I was a coward. Every time I thought of suicide, the image of that rapist head being stomped came into my mind. So I started fantasizing about a little lead button in the middle of my wooden table that I could bless to end my life in an instant, without pain. I could bless it and just disappear. One thing I noticed about sleeping pills is they rob you of your dreams. I think I stopped having dreams completely, or maybe just couldn't remember them. Whenever I try to get off the pills I had the most horrible nightmares, usually about Yashida, and I always remembered the exact details. The one that recalled most strongly involved her ex-boyfriend. I had seen his photo when it fell out of her diary one morning so I knew what he looked like. He was tall, strong and in my nightmares he always was nice to me. The worst nightmare occurred on the night that the police informed me I was due to go to court following the day, the beginning of my trial. In nightmare, Yasida's ex-boyfriend sat me down and explained that she had made a big mistake because she had been confused at the time she met me. He would say, she were me now. I just wanted you to know it. Was nothing you did wrong, don't feel bad. He was really apologetic and then they kissed in front of me like I wasn't even there. 
On the day that my trial was scheduled to begin, I lay in bed all morning watching Lola on TV. But not even that could make me happy. I didn't bother turning on the light, and I couldn't bring myself to get up and eat breakfast or lunch. My stomach was in knots. Finally, I rose and began preparing for my court appearance. I took special care to look well dressed. I was ready when the announcement about my court appearance came over a tiny prison loudspeaker system. Thomas McFadden to the Piotta Plita Bar. I left my room and walked quickly towards the main courtyard. Well, well, if it isn't said Pedro's international lover boy, said a familiar voice as I passed through the Pino's getaway. I turned around and gave a cry of surprise. It was Ricardo. In my mystery, I had completely forgotten about him. Hey, man! Why do you look so surprised to see me? Ingratula! Don't you recognize me? He had obviously heard my name called and had been waiting for me. Hey, man, Ricardo! Yes, I am Ricardo, he said, taking my hand and shaking it as we walked along. Pleased to meet you again. I'm glad you remembered my name at least. I also forgotten how funny he was. Here I said, Hey man, where have you been? I asked. Ricardo said, What do you mean, where have I been? Where you think I've been? Did you think I sold my house and moved to suburb or something? Huh? Ricardo accompanied me to the main case where I lined up with the other inmates on the transport list. The police marked our names off and we then filed out into the street onto the green police bus to be driven across town to the court. Ricardo said, Good luck, Inglés! He called me before they closed the doors. There was about ten of us on the bus with two guards. They didn't bother handcuffing us. San Pedro was for minimum security prisoners and the only time would be out in the open when we were getting on and off the bus when there were plenty of police around. Later on they did handcuff us but that was only after an accomplice had handed one of the inmates a gun in the courthouse and he shot three policemen before escaping on foot. When we arrived at the court building, I saw my lawyers waiting for me at the entrance. They welcomed me with smiles and handshakes and then introduced me to a female colleague who kissed me on the cheek. Hello, Thomas, she said. How was your life? The policeman assigned to guard me stood aside waiting to take me to the holding says, Don't worry, Thomas. Leave everything to us. She said, We'll see you in there. I had been in those same court holding cells on my winter prison from the FELCN 11 months previously, 
I wasn't in the same cell as then, but it was almost identical. Plain walls, no furniture, one small window high up, and an observation hatch in the door for guards to look through. It didn't seem as horrible as I remembered. I had been through a lot since then. To me, 11 months was a very long time to have to wait for my first court appearance. However, by Bolivian standards, it was considered speedy. My lawyers said this is a good sign, and it meant the money we had sent the judge was working. There were inmates who had been in San Pedro for six years without a trial, they said, but I didn't know whether to believe my lawyers since allegedly they had said that my case would need to go to trial at all. The courtroom was very, very simple, like an old-fashioned classroom. There was nothing modern, such as cameras or microphones. All the furniture was wooden. The prosecutor, known as the Fiscal, sat at one side of the room, and the judge's desk was up at the front. In the front of a Bolivian flag hanging on the wall. Everything else, including my lawyers and I, sat in the middle of the room on uncomfortable chairs that made a terrible noise when you moved them. For my first appearance, there weren't enough chairs, so the police had to go out and borrow some from the other courtrooms. When I first saw the judge coming in, I was hopeful. Please stand, called one of the court officials. Everyone bowed as the judge took the seat. He had a nice face. It looked like the face of someone who had children. I know that doesn't sound important, but when it's your trial, the judge's face is something that you'll notice. The proceedings began very slowly. Everything that was said had to be typed using an old-fashioned typewriter. The typists were fast, but it was impossible for him to keep up with everyone, especially when they all talked at once. Often he had to interrupt in order to get people to repeat what they had just said. On top of that, whenever anyone spoke, they had to wait for my interpreter to make a translation into English. I watched the judge closely. I found it hard to believe that this man had received $15,000 from my lawyers and were now sitting right there, pretending that he hadn't. At first, this made me feel confident. I thought he was a good actor. However, he kept his performance up for so long that I began to doubt whether he was corrupt at all. The whole time I was there, the judge looked at me only once. When the prosecutor said my name and pointed to me, when the judge's eyes met mine, his expression was completely blank and there was no hint of softness in his face. I began to wonder whether the two brides had reached him. By the end of the afternoon, I was convinced that they hadn't.
No significant developments occurred during the first hearing. I had been hoping that the judge would dismiss the charges immediately. But it had become obvious that it was not his intention. Reaching the finding of Innocenta was going to take longer than expected. My second court appearance was scheduled for three weeks later. As I got back, Ricardo said, How'd it go? He had been waiting for me at the case. I said, I don't know, it's hard to say. Ricardo said, Apparently he's a good judge, Ricardo said, rubbing his fingers together. Very fair, so you're lucky in jealous. You might be out of here before you know it, man. How long do you think? I said, what you asking me for? I'm not a lawyer. Cardo said, come on, let's go have a chat in my room, man. I suggested I'm not wanting to think about it anymore. Uh, you want your old friend back? Ricardo said, didn't have time for me when the girlie was around, eh? Said Ricardo, but now the bitch is gone. I'll cook you something. I love to, Thomas, but I can't. I'm sorry, I'm busy. Ricardo tapped his watch. Gotta fly, I got a hot date tonight. You know how it is. Come on, we'll smoke some ganja. I'll pay. I said, you pay, eh? She's so rich too and giving you money. He put his arms around me and we walked upstairs towards my room. You must be in San Pedro's only toy boy. Huh? You toy boy, motherfucker. Ricardo kept making jokes about what a bad friend I was, but I could tell that he was actually a little hurt that I had forgotten him when Rashida was around. I knew that he wouldn't stay mad at me for long, though. And after the first joint we smoked, he stopped teasing me. Just like old times, we were stoned and watching the ATB news. When Ricardo suddenly jumped out of his chair. Look! That's a politician! They caught him again! It was Gabriel Sanchez, the director of the work on Spagenford, who had stolen $40 million. The reporter said that there had been an anonymous tip-off he was hiding out at the Mar de la Plata in Argentina. They brought him in by a plane on the armed guard. The picture showed them at El Arto airport, handcuffed and surrounded by the policia, about to be transported somewhere. But you could hardly recognize him because he had the plastic surgery. Hundreds of the workers who had been cheated out of their retirement money were protesting with their families. Some of the women were crying. The police had found a ring around Sanchez, but they weren't even trying very hard to protect him. Sanchez didn't even try to shield himself either. In the short time it took to bundle him into the vehicle, the protesters spat at him and threw things at him. One guy got past the guard and landed a big heavy right haymaker. 
The angry mob continued to kick and bang the gun till it sped off. The reporter started interviewing some of the people in the crowd. Back in his cell, Ricardo said, Can you believe that, guy? Ricardo pointing at the TV and banging his fist on the table. As he said, when he goes to prison, he's not going to last the first night. They'll just fucking kill him. Just like they did to those lepers, man. He's not going to prison. He's got money. It's all a show, child. Money buy you a lot of friends, I said. Ricardo argued back. But he has to go to prison. I said, he already escaped once, so now the whole country is watching. There will be riots if he don't go to prison. At least for a little while until things calm down. I disagreed. No way, man. Where's the 40 million dollars he stole? They haven't found any of it. I say that. While he still got the money, he can pay his way out. Ricardo said, I still say he's going to prison. I say, how much will we bet then? Holding out my hand. Forty million. Okay, we sure can't wait. I said, not letting his hand go. Dollars are Bolivian nose. Bolivian nose. Ricardo said, Hey, Ingeles, you know that this is a Bolivian jail. As Ricardo laughed, Everything is in dollars, remember? I was in a good mood the next morning when two taxitas called to me from the courtyard below saying that someone was waiting in the interview room to see me. My heart leapt hoping it was Yashida. Who is it? I opened my door. I don't know. At least five or six foreigners, the guard said. At first I felt disappointed pointed then confused I did know that many people in the whole of La Paz they must have been some kind of mistake but I went to the gate just to be sure and there behind the bars in the interview room was Yashida with her friend Shalen and the two other Israel girls it had been months since she had left but she acted if it was just the day before she said, I thought you might be lonely, so I brought you some visitors. There are two guys waiting outside. Can we come in? I hesitated. It would be difficult to get sex visitors at one time, especially since they didn't have any Bolivian IDs. Rashida said, Well, ain't you going to get us in, Tommy? asked Yashida. All my friends want to meet you. I said, wait, 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 let me check first. I let the interview room and hurried around to the main entrance. I didn't know what lie 
I could tell the policia to get all of the Israelis in. But since they had made the effort to visit me, I at least owed it to them to try. At a minimum, I needed to get Yashida in. I didn't know why she hadn't contacted me, but I had already forgiven her. Luckily, the lieutenant on duty that day was my friend. He was standing by the metal gates with his set of keys, controlling the flow of people. He said, Me, Tamita? A small consolation, please, I said, holding my thumb and index finger with a small gap between them, which was a Bolivian way of asking for a quick jack. He leaned towards the bars and said, Digam! Tell me, I told him that some people had come from other side of the world especially to visit me. Can you help me? I don't have any family here. I pleaded. He said, do they have their carnets? If they don't have a carnet, they ain't allowed in the prison. I already knew that was the rule, but I kept arguing. But my lieutenant... That doesn't seem fair. I am a foreigner, so all my family are foreigners. That means my, can my family can't visit? Me? Gaza, so these people are your family. No, but all my friends are foreigners too. Please, maybe I can help you also, I hinted. His expression began to change. Where are they from, your friends, the guard said. From your hometown, all the guards knew me as Ingles, and I thought about saying my visitors were from England too, but they definitely looked Israelian. I said, they're from Israel. I used to live in Israel where I met my Israelian girlfriend. You know my teacher. I had seen the lieutenant admiring Yashida. When, whenever she was leaving, so with my hands I made an outline in the air of a full-fugged woman exaggerating the size of her bless and the buttocks. The lieutenant and his men all started laughing. Ah, Isho Chica! I heard them now. Can you help me? I winked at them. I can introduce you to her pretty amigas. I traced another curvious woman in the air, this time pulling her towards me, grunting when I got to the hips. They laughed even louder. Cubiano, gringas! Just a moment, he went off to discuss it with the mayor. Things were looking good. That was the first of many lies I told the policia in order to gain admission for fallen tourists to San Pedro prison. Yashida had always been friendly with the mayor, which probably helped with getting her friends in that time. However, later on when travelers I had never seen before began turning up and asking to be let in to see me, it became more and more difficult to come up with new excuses. 
My family tree became more and more complicated as distant cousins, nieces and half-brothers with passports from Egypt, Iceland and Japan. All around the world from these countries came to visit me. The guard must have joked among themselves about some of the stories I told them. In the end, I doubt that they believed the word I said. At the peak of my career as a tour guide, two or three girls I had never laid eyes on turned up each day claiming to be my wife. However, I provided I made the police a laugh and there was money in it for them. They say to play along with most of the lies. The lieutenant came back from the mayor's office with good news. He says it's okay. They have to pay and keep them away from the main gate in case the governor sees them. I said, yes, of course, of course, they will pay. He said, no hey problema. Ten Bolivians, each person, he whispered through the gate so that only I could hear. Straight up to your room. Yes, of course, I agreed willingly. I didn't think Rashida's friends would mind. Three Bolivians, more than local visitors paid, wasn't much extra, even for travelers on the backpacking budget. I ran to the interview room and told Yashida to call the boys in and come around the main gate where the lieutenant took the passports. Making a big show was checking that the photos matched the person. Then he handed the keys to the junior and nodded at the gate. The junior policeman opened the padlock, the tallest pass floor, and then he locked it behind them and handed the key back to the lieutenant. Gracias, mi taniti, I said. But the lieutenant did look up. He was too busy studying his tiny notepad, doing the figures. Normally, all the money from the main gate was divided between the police on duty, according to their rank. But I noticed that time he hadn't made an official record of the tourists entering the prison. Today would be a good day for the lieutenant. The 60 Bolivianos from the Israelis would be shared between him and the mayor only. When Yashida came through the gate, I wanted to hug her, but there wasn't time. I hadn't any trouble from the other inmates for months, but I still was careful not to do anything that might cause a stir in the prison. Unfortunately, this was exactly what was happening. The inmates weren't used to seeing foreigners and there were now six visitors standing in front of me inside the main gates who were clearly not Bolivian. The people stopped what they doing and stared. I was worried that something might happen to one of the Israelis. I had to get them away from the main gate and out of sight before they attracted any more attention. Okay, everyone follow me, please. I tried not to sound anxious as I led the group in single file across the main courtyard. Yashida's friends looked around nervously, staying as close to one another as possible. 
and I said, And make sure you hold on to your wallets. I called back to them. We started through the gates into Pinos, the roughest section of the prison. With all eyes still fixed on our little group, we finally made it up the stairs into my room and I shut the door behind me, leaning against the wall and panting from the rapid climb, but relieved that nothing had happened. Even though I now felt safe, it still was not the right time to say anything to Yashida. I wanted to ask her why she had taken so long and why she hadn't called, but I couldn't say anything in front of the others. I had to wait until we were alone. Instead, I motioned for everyone to sit down. Later, I bought more chairs from my small wooden table, but at that time I wasn't used to receiving visitors that weren't enough seats to go around. Yashida and Sharon sat on my bed, and that the others sat at the table, I remained standing. It was only then that I had the time to take a proper look at my visitors. They all returned and healthy looking after their hike along the Inca Trial, the famous ruins of Macho Pichu, and had clearly been shopping at the local markets because they were wearing traditional Bolivian clothing. I looked more closely at their faces. N not one of them was flushed from the climb to my room, but I could tell that they were quite shaken by the experience of entering a real prison and being stared at by hundreds of strange-looking South American prisoners. They all gazed back at me, waiting for me to speak. I knew I had to say something, but I didn't know what. I couldn't understand why anyone on an overseas holiday would want to go to a jail to visit the drug trafficker. They didn't know. It seemed such a strange thing to do. I guess it was just as strange for them. I was probably the first real criminal in a real prison they had ever met and for all they knew I might have been dangerous and violent. So welcome to San Pedro prison, I started. I am Thomas the tour guide. They all laughed. I didn't mean for it to sound so funny, and I don't really think they thought it was, but broke the tension. Afterwards that line began standard opening for all my tours. Thomas the tour guide. It was good way to overcome people's fears entering the prison. And as time went by, I became better and better at understanding how other people felt in awkward situations. And eventually I could make the tourists feel safe almost as soon as I met them at the entrance. Thomas the tour guide. Actually, I kind of like the sound of it. Each time I repeat it over the next few years, I foot back to the very first door, sitting in my room with the first group of tourists. Well, here we are. This is my beautiful prison cell. Welcome.
I plugged the kettle in and asked who wanted the tea or coffee. They seemed to be relaxing, but it was still difficult to know what they wanted to hear. Luckily, before another uncomfortable silence fell, Yashida suggested I tell her friends about the night I came to San Pedro. I started telling them about my time in the FELNCN and about the police. Sia had virtually starved me nearly to death then. Then I told them about arriving at San Pedro by taxi and being asked to pay the entrance fee and about how I had slept in an abandoned building almost freezing to death there because I didn't have enough money to buy my own cell. No one said anything but they all looked shocked. I continued talking, gradually feeling more confident as the story progressed. I explained how the prisoners had to pay to belong to a section and then pay a transfer fee in order to get a legal title to a cell. I explained how everyone had to have a job in order to survive. I told them about the restaurants and about the guards and the corruption. I also explained about how many of the inmates were addicted to smoking crack. I could sense that the Israelis were starting to believe me. Under the table, Yashida gave me a hand squeeze of encouragement. I saw from her friends' faces that they were now totally involved in my experiences. Yashida winked at me. As her friends became more comfortable, they began firing questions at me. Where are you? How long have you been here? What is it like here? What did you do? Are you innocent? Is it dangerous? Is it the first time in prison? Did you get caught with drugs? What is the food like? Is there a school inside a prison for children? Where is your family? When do you get out? Is it against human rights to make you pay for your own cell? I did my best to answer all the questions, although I avoided the ones about what I had done. I didn't want people I had never met before knowing the details about what I was charged with especially since I was in the middle of my trial. Well, can we see the rest of the prison now? One of the guys asked. I said, yes, let's go, have a look around, help yourself. One of his friends suggested, I want to see those restaurants. I've never eaten prison food. Those Israelis were no longer frightened, even though I didn't like the idea. They insisted that I show them around the other section. I didn't want to ignore the lieutenant's order about staying in my room, but neither did I want to disappoint my guests. As a compromise, we went downstairs and ate a meal of fried chicken and rice in the pinots. I hoped the inmates wouldn't cause any trouble. In fact, for once they were all quite friendly. A small group came over. And began asking the Israelis questions about where they were from, what they thought of Bolivia, 
and what they thought of San Pedro Pleasant. The Israelis answered all the questions happily and even began to joke around with them. After we had finished eating, the bravest group asked, Are these inmates that smoke crack? Can we see them now? No, I replied. That section, Pinos, is dangerous, man. We can't go there. We can go there another day, but not now at night time. It's not a good idea. We ended up back in my room, sitting around my table again. After talking with the other prisoners, they were even more excited than before. They had many, many more questions to ask. They also wanted to know more about the prison. So I started telling them about the prison elections and the rules we had in each section. They sat there completely captivated until a taxita knocked on my door to tell me that the lieutenant wanted the tourists to leave. They didn't want to go and I didn't want them to go, but I'd had to stay on the lieutenant's good side. We said our first goodbyes in my room and when they offered me small amounts of money, I refused them, but they insisted and left some notes on the table saying, don't rally, you need it more than we do. I said, okay, thanks very much. I accompanied my new friends to the gate where the girls kissed me goodbye. Except Yashida, who was staying behind. When I went to shake hands with the guy who had asked most of the questions, he gave me a hug. I was surprised and very moved. We had only met each other a few hours before, but in that short time there had been a strong connection. You know what? You should become a proper tour guide, he suggested. You're an amazing person. I know about ten people who would come right now if I told them. The others joined in enthusiastically. Yes! That would be cool. We're going to send our friends to visit you. They'll love it. And could you charge them all an extra five bolivars? No one would mind. The place is worth paying for. I never seen anything like it. Everybody needed a job in San Pedro. Quite by accident I had stumbled upon mine. I was to be the prison tour guide, Thomas the tour guide. The guards would make their share of profit from the tourist, and I could make enough money to get by. I wouldn't have to clean shoes, run errands, sell drugs, wash clothes, lend money, or stand over people. Everyone would be happy, especially me.